Amid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, there is no need to try. For there's no end of sorrow, there's no hope by and by. But I know thou art with me, and tomorrow I'll rise where the storms never darken the skies. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. When the long night has ended, and the storms come no more. Let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore, in that land where the tempest never comes. Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm over till the thunder sounds no more till the clouds roll forever from the sky hold me fast let me stand in the hollow of thy hand keep me safe till the storm passes take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Philippians again and Philippians chapter 3. Next week we're going to begin our new series on the family, for the family, we're calling it. Again, our theme this year is, uh, I almost have to look, these, these things are right in my way and I forget, a mind to work. Whew. I kept thinking, for the family. No, that's not the theme. It's a mind to work, for the family. And so we're going to be talking about the family over the next couple of weeks and trying to be an encouragement and a help. And again, if there's anything, uh, uh, one thing that needs to be strengthened in our country and in our, our churches is our homes and our families. We really do. And so we're going to be uh, taking a biblical look at the family and trying to gain some insights and understanding. And so we'll be looking at that over the next four weeks as we consider the family. For the family. 
Well, we've been in Philippians now for about four weeks. Today will be the fifth week that we've spent on this particular, uh, um, this particular series, Why Rejoice? Why Rejoice? And so we end it today uh, with this uh, lesson or message, if you will. And uh, boy, through the last weeks, we've seen that, boy, the Lord uh, is one that we can count on. And although it's dark and it's bleak and it seems that there's a number of things in our culture, in our society, in our world even, that would give us reason for alarm. We have reason to rejoice as believers. And we noted the promise that he did begun a good work in us and will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. We noted the prize. He said he pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's not looking back. He's not allowing his past to affect his present and his future. He's not even allowing his past successes to do that. And so we saw that he's moving forward and that he's seeing God work and that he's allowing him to work in his life. We have reason to rejoice. We said the prospect, the expectation that we're going to have a new body one day and that, we're, that our citizenship is not here on earth, it's in heaven. Boy, that's a reason to rejoice. And when things are going awry and amiss here on, our, on this earth and this celestial globe in which we live, we don't have to worry about that in a sense because this isn't really our home. Our home's in heaven. Of course we want to be uh, wise in how we deal with our earth. We want to be wise in how we deal even with animals and things. The Bible's very clear. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't put any of those things above a human life, but we certainly understand that we ought to be right with things that God created. We don't abuse his creation in that sense. But by the same token, this is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so we have that tremendous prospect. We notice also another reason to rejoice was the peace, the, uh, the, excuse me, the power that we have in the Lord. And uh, we, we just noted so many things, his power in creation, his power in conversion, his power in change. Every time we see God, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we ask or think. There's no limitations for him. And so we're very excited about that. And when we face these obstacles in this life, we don't have to worry about whether or not he's big enough to help us overcome them. And so we have the power, his power, him himself. Now, <clears throat> finally, last but not least today, I want to touch on another reason why we as believers have reason to rejoice. Even though it seems like things are upside down at times in our world, maybe in your own life or in your home even, I want you to know there's good reason to rejoice as a believer. And the one that I want to speak on tonight and share is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Now we're going to read a little more than that. We're going to begin in verse 14 and read through verse 19. But I want to talk to you today a little bit about the provision, the provision that the Lord gives to us, how he meets our needs. Well, I'll tell you what, God meets our needs. And as a result of that, we have reason to rejoice. It, when, it, when it would appear that life is just overwhelming and that we just can't seem to get ahead, so to speak, God's meeting needs in our life. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to begin reading there. We'll read through verse 19, and then we'll take a few moments, identify the passage a little bit, and uh, then we're going to move ahead and share some of the things that God has provided for us that give us reason to be very, very grateful and rejoice. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, we begin reading there. <clears throat> the Bible says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me uh, as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus 
the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. What a tremendous passage that is. As we look at this passage in verse 14, we see the commendation. The commendation. The Apostle Paul says, notwithstanding ye have well done. He commends these believers. He commends them. I mean, after finally tracking down the apostle after his whereabouts had been unknown for the last two years, they send Epaphroditus with this, this gift, this gift, a financial gift, a gift to help him, to encourage him, and to meet needs in his life. And Paul is so overwhelmed by this gift that they sent to him, their love, their generosity just flowing as a result of it. He's just excited. And he writes this return letter to them. And in this letter that he writes back to them after they've met his need, after they've provided for him so, so tenderly and so lovingly and gener generously, he then says, ye have well done. Ye have well done. He commends them that they communicated with his affliction, that they met that need, that they recognized the need, and that they met that need. We see in verse 15 and 16 some information. Over there, he goes on to say, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again into my necessity. He says, from the very start, you and you alone were there for me. You met my need. I just want you to understand, I'm so grateful for what you've done. You, have, you, you are to be commended. And I want you to realize if it wasn't for you, no one would have come to my aid. You alone came to my aid. You alone met my need. Even in Thessalonica, you came to my need. But then notice the motivation in verse 17. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. It's interesting the motivation that the Apostle Paul had in life. His motivation wasn't to get rich. It wasn't to create a big name for himself. It wasn't ultimately to be put, uh, to have his letters placed in a book called the Bible where people would remember him for eternity. That was never his goal, his desire. When you look at the Apostle Paul's motivation, it's always eternal things, eternal matters. And in this particular case, he quickly turns to eternal matters again. And he focuses on the judgment seat of Christ. And he basically says, he says, he says but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's not talking about their account on earth. He's not talking about their bank account. He's not talking about their IRA. He's not talking about their retirement at all. He's talking about their eternal retirement plan. He's talking about the fact that you have given to a cause, the cause of Christ, and as a result of your sacrifice and your giving, I want you to know, man, that God's going to reward you at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what I seek for you, my people, he says. His motivation. We see his commendation, his information, the motivation. Notice the appreciation in verse 18. He goes on to say, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul, had, Paul has, is saying here basically, listen, he says, I, I, I can't tell you my needs are met, man. This is wonderful. I can't tell you how good it is to know that you found me and you've uh, met my need and my heart is just elated. I'm so grateful, so thankful. But as he begins to take a mental tally of the gift that was received to the member ratio, as he starts to ask himself, wow, they came up with this gift in spite of the fact that they themselves are really in a, a, a financial distress. He thinks, man, this was a major sacrifice on their part. They were poor, but they gave more than they could even afford. And he approaches it from that perspective, and he goes on to 
say, listen, the fact is, is that God was well pleased with that generosity and that gift that you gave. I want you to know that God recognized that. I want you to know that God is taking notice. Paul's words take us back to the offerings of the Old Testament. Notice he says there in the passage, he says in verse 17, he that he received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So he's going back now to the Old Testament. And all of these offerings were intended to speak of Christ, those offerings in the Old Testament. There were three that especially delighted God himself, that made such an impact. And he said, the meat offering, the peace offering, and the burnt offering. Those three offerings are mentioned in uh, right off the bat in the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 3. And we see here that in the passage, the meat offering in those passages speaks of Christ and his, his flawless or sinless humanity. He lived a perfect, sinless life. We see the peace offering that speaks of Christ and, and the fact that he is our peacemaker, not just between God and man, but between one another even. We see the burnt offering that speaks of Christ again, offering himself without spot to God ultimately providing us the way of salvation. We see these particular, these particular offerings in the Old Testament that Paul is now alluding to. And what he does basically is he takes these three, these three sweet savor offerings and he, he says they brought special pleasure to God. And now he associates their generosity to those sweet savor offerings. And he says those offerings you gave please God like those offerings in the Old Testament. Amen. Isn't that something? Amen. Boy, I tell you what, to think what God, how God responded to those offerings in the Old Testament and then to consider now that Paul associates the giving of his, God's people to him in the ministry and says, now that's God. He is reflecting on those as he reflected on those offerings in the Old Testament. God is very pleased with that offering and that sacrifice that you gave. I know you don't have a lot. I realize you're being persecuted. I know that it's difficult. But thank God for your generosity and thank God for your sacrifice. God says it's well-pleasing. We see the commendation, the information, the motivation, the appreciation, and finally notice the declaration. Verse 19. In verse 19, he finally goes on to say, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. All this has, has, has taken place now. This people that had lost touch with him. This people who had, had no idea where the Apostle Paul had been for two years now. They finally find him. He's in Rome. And they say, listen, we need to send a gift. We need to let him know we still remember him and we still appreciate him. We still love him. And we still are, are supporting the ministry that God has placed on his heart and in his mind. And they send this gift sacrificially to him. They just gather it up. They get it together and they send it by their pastor. And he arrives there and Paul is blessed. And then after that, he says, God's blessed with that. But let me also tell you, people of God, you may have sacrificed. You may have given above and beyond the call of duty. You may have given beyond what you can even afford. But the fact is, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, you have both God and you have his son on the job. God is our provider. God is our provider. Listen, don't you be fooled into thinking that your employer provides for you. 
You be careful. Oh, you treat that employer with the respect that they deserve. You treat them as God says, the way that you ought to. You obey them. You, you do what they tell you to do. And you do it without complaining and murmuring. You be a good employee, yes. But understand and recognize and realize always it is God that does the providing. He may use a man. He may use a company. He may use an organization. He may even use the government. But let me tell you something. It's God. Don't you forget it. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When we look back on our lives, we can't help but see God's hand of provision, I think. I know I can't help but see it. And I mean, no matter how dark and how dismal the days in which we live are, we have reason to rejoice because we have a God that is capable of supplying every single need in our life. Amen. And this morning... I just want to share just a few of those needs that the Lord meets, which gives us such great reason to rejoice. So let's have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll just touch on a couple of them this morning. Father, help us, we pray. Lord, we need you this morning. And Father, we thank you for being there for us. You said, ask, and it shall be given. You seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We're asking you to show up today. We're asking you to meet with us. We're asking you, Father, to do what only you can. Father, speak to us in a way, Father, that will not soon be forgotten. And Lord, may it affect our life, affect our love, and affect our living. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I think about the Lord as a provider, I can't help but think about that little course we just sang. And think about the fact that he provided us salvation first. I mean, think about where you and I would be without him providing salvation. I mean, it would just, we would be in a mess. Take your Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, please. Hebrews 7, 25. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read this. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore he is also, excuse me, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Man, that's a wonderful truth. Boy, he's able to save them. The Lord saved you. You didn't save yourself. I didn't save myself. The Lord saved us. Listen, it wasn't, a, it wasn't just you showing up in church. It wasn't just the fact that you have a, a tender spot towards spiritual matters. Man, you had to have an actual encounter with God, and the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in and saved you. You didn't save yourself. He saved you. And I didn't save myself. He saved me. Boy, he's able to say also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who's raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He delivered us from the wrath to come. He provided us salvation and delivered us from our sin, delivered us from the penalty of sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath 
through him. Listen, no matter how difficult it becomes, no matter how hard life gets, how complicated or uncomfortable it may be, let me tell you something. Living in this world is not always easy, but knowing that you have a home in heaven and that your soul is saved and you are forgiven and you have a relationship with the creator of the universe is a reason to rejoice. Not only do we see salvation that he provided, but we see that security that we need. In the book of 1 Peter, turn there if you would please. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Not only as we noted, and again, if you've been here for the series, we spent a little time on this, so we're not spent a lot now, but the fact is, is that the Lord provided us salvation. The Lord provides us that security that we need in that salvation. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5, we're going to see it very plainly and clearly. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are, here it is now, kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, who are kept by the power of God. Listen, the same power that saved your soul is the same power that keeps your soul. If you say today that I called on the Lord and I believe it with all my heart that I meant business with God and he meant business with me, if you are confident that you did business with God and you're saved today as a result of the, uh, the finished work of Christ and calling upon the name of the Lord, then let me tell you, you will stay saved because he does the saving and he does the keeping. Amen. It's not your power. It's never been. It's not my power. It's never been. It's always God's power. God's power to save. God's power to keep. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, turn there if you would. What a passage this is. I mean, what a blessing to know that we're safe in the arms of Jesus. What a joy to realize that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, we simply read, For I am persuaded, the Apostle Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, now that, that's awesome. I'm persuaded, he said. And you, I'm telling you, I'm convinced. I got it settled. Let me ask you, do you have it settled? I mean, you ought to, if you're saved, you ought to have it settled because the same power that saved you is the same power that keeps you. And the fact is, no one, nothing can possibly separate you from the love of Christ. When I was eight years old, I tried out for a baseball team. And uh, I remember going up to Ritzman Elementary. It was just down the street from here, actually. And they've since rebuilt the building, you know, tore down the old one and redid the new. It's not a, it's not a school anymore. It's a learning center. I, I, I don't honestly understand the difference except that you know we don't want the negative connotation of school you know heaven forbid kids actually believe they have to learn. oh it's a learning center though so I guess they do need to learn but school but anyway I thought school was a good thing but uh, nonetheless when I was eight I went up to the school Richmond and they had tryouts for the baseball team in those days we had a couple of different teams just from our school in our, our little area there. And so I ran on up there. I'd, I'd been playing at Hillwood Homes over here, up right up by the carousel, actually. As a seven-year-old, I played there for a year. It's a funny story. I won't have time to tell it. But my mom was the coach for a short time. 
let me just suffice to say that after a few weeks of that, before we actually got the coach that was going to stick with us the rest of the year, all the kids were thrown like that. And I'm not joking. I am not lying. They came down. The coach came down and said, all right. And she said, yeah, these kids, I've been just kind of taking care of them while waiting on you to come. So for about two weeks, she'd been coaching us, and all the kids were thrown like that. That took a little while to break it. Broke that habit, and then they was all right. But nonetheless, so anyway, I'm now eight years old, and I'm up at the Richmond Elementary, and here I am. I'm up against the backstop. And, you know, we, we, during the, they, they picked us all out and made us go out in the field. And we had to ground some balls. We had to take some high pops. We had to do some batting practice. And, oh, they wanted to check us out and see what skills and talents we had. And, of course, you know I was awesome. <laughs> all eight years old. Man, I'll tell you what, we, we look ragtag for sure. But nonetheless, we were out there. It was an 8- to 10-year-old team they were picking for. And so here we were out in the field. So then they lined us all back up again against the fence. And they said, all right, now, before we leave, we're going to pick what team you're on. And I was so nervous. I was nervous. I thought, what if I don't get picked? My, my, my dad would be so embarrassed. And my mom would have to start teaching me baseball again. And I, I just, I was getting nervous. And all of a sudden, they, they picked me for the Tigers. Man, that was awesome. I mean, I, let's face it. I don't know if you've ever seen the Flying Tigers, John Wayne. Good show. I'd seen that already as a kid, and I wanted to be a tiger. Those planes had those teeth on the front, and I knew they were mean. I was a tiger. I made the team. Man, I was excited. I was fired up. And I knew I'm on the team now. I don't have to worry about getting cut. I don't have to worry about not playing. I'm on the team. Boy, I'll tell you what, it felt good to know I was on the team, to have that confidence, that security. And you know what? That's how it works with salvation. Amen. I mean, to take, once you put, you put on the roster, God's roster, once you put on his team, once you've received and accepted the Lord and you've been placed on the, the winning side, you're always there. Amen. 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 That's a wonderful thing. We may not always live up to our title, Christian, Christ-like. But we got a God that lives up to his portion. We're secure on, on the team. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. So we know we have a God that provides for us. Yes, salvation, security. But also, he provides us safety. Now, this one gets a little bit misunderstood sometimes, but let's just take a few moments and consider this a little bit. But in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, the Bible says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, as a nation, it's, it, it, we can be, you know, deceived into believing somehow if we have the most powerful military in the world, then we're the, we're the strongest, we're the safest, we're secure. But see, the Bible doesn't teach that. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. No doubt about that. It helps to have a lot of chariots. It helps to have a lot of swords. It helps to have a lot of soldiers. Those are all wonderful things. But let me tell you something. Americans have been used to being outnumbered in the past, and God has come through so many times. And throughout history, we see a people called Israel who have many times was outnumbered, but yet God supernaturally intervened on their behalf. And so we understand that safety is of the Lord. There's a story told of a monastery in Portugal. It's perched way up high on this 3,000-foot cliff. It's only accessible uh, by a, a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. 
<laughs> it's really crazy. So the basket's loaded down, and man, I mean to tell you, that rope just bows down as it's lean, and there's these super strong fellows on the other side, and they're pulling. They pull the basket up. And so here you are in this basket, and one American tourist who was visiting that site got kind of nervous about halfway through the, that, that process. And, and he noticed that the rope was a little bit old, and it looked a little frayed even. And um, kind of hoping to relieve his fears a little bit, he said, Hey, how often do you guys change the rope? And the monk in charge said, Whenever it breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whenever it breaks. And I, I'm sure that really made him feel very comfortable there. But the fact is that, you know, praise God, we don't have to ever worry about the strength of some men pulling or possibly the consistency of a rope. I mean, to tell you, our hopes rest in the arms and the hands of, of which are strong and steadfast always, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides us safety. He cares for his own. John Patton was a missionary in the Hebrew Islands, and one night these hostile natives surrounded the mission station. And uh, they were going to burn out the Pattons. They were going to kill them and burn down the place. And Patton and his wife began to pray during that night and just begging God to intercede and to care for them, protect them, and to preserve the work there. And when daylight came, they were amazed to see that all those that had gathered around to attack had gone. A year later, the chief of that particular tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down their house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men with you there? Patton, he said, I, What men? There were no men there. And yet they were afraid to attack because they had seen the Lord's army. Listen, I, you say that didn't happen. No, I don't know. I believe things like that do happen. I, I, I do, I've heard other stories like that. Hey, God is, is the protector. God is the one that brings safety. God's the one that intervenes on our behalf. He's as real as you are real. He created you, so he's certainly real. If we could only see the spiritual warfare that's taking place around us at any given time, we'd be sure to recognize the protective hand of God in our life. The problem with us is too often we, we misunderstand what God's safety means. Someone gets in an accident or there's a tragedy in our life and we say God has forsaken us. God doesn't care anymore. God isn't protecting. And yet the Bible says that the real battle is a spiritual battle to begin with. In Ephesians 6:12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The fact is today is that your soul is much more valuable to God than one of your limbs is. And the reality is, is that God is more concerned with, with conforming you to the image of Christ than he is with you becoming healthy, wealthy, and wise. The fact is, is that God is doing a work today. And trust me, if we could only see the spiritual warfare that's taking place, we would know that the angels of God and the armies of God are at our request and are there, in a sense, at his bidding. And they, is, they are protecting us from the battle, Amen. from the fray. How many times has God delivered you and I from a terrible tragedy, though? Something physical. We're driving down the road and... 
maybe where car hits a patch of ice and we do a couple of spins around. It could have ended up horribly. We could have been in a hospital. We could have even been in heaven. And yet here we stand today. How many times has he kept you in a given situation, possibly from it becoming worse than it could have been? Now just consider how many times has he supernaturally intervened that you were not even aware of. See, God is a protector. And although we may misunderstand it at times, he is there to meet that need. When the Bible says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord, that's exactly what it means. We have a reason to rejoice today because we have the Lord Jesus Christ who is watching over us. And let me say, whether or not you like it or not, whether or not I agree with it or like it or not, the fact is, is if something does come into my life that is uncomfortable, the reality is God permitted that in my life. And I have to accept it from a hand of a loving God, understanding that there are bigger things that are being dealt with than just me and mine. He permits some difficulties in our life. Not for the purpose of crushing us, but conforming us to the image of Christ. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Go ahead and poll people, the people of God sometime. Ask them when they find that the reality of God was more real in their life. Was it during the good or was it during the bad? Talk to many of them and ask them, when did you finally recognize the reality of God in your life? When did it finally connect with God in a way that seems so real today? They'll tell you it was often through tragedy, through tough times and difficult times in their life. That's when God became more real to them. And I know that it wasn't comfortable, and I realize that it wasn't, it wasn't nice. But the reality is, is that God did permit things. We don't know all the whys, but what we do know in the end is that he's going to use it for good no matter what. And we have to trust him. If you remember, God's presence didn't keep Noah and his family from the flood, did it? But it did get them through it. God's presence in our lives may not keep us from the storms in life, but it will get us through them and to the other side safely. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We note also not only... As we said, the salvation, security, and safety. We have reason to rejoice because of sustenance. Sustenance. God's sustenance. He provides for us. Again, in Philippians 4.19 in our passage, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In January of 1995, after the church had been started for nine months, we went part-time with the church. The church had been around since March of, 2000, uh, March of 1994, 95. Again, we went part-time. I started uh, making $500 a month from the church at that point. So I worked three days a week, and I got $500 a month from the church. And so uh, we were making about $1,000 a month gross at that point. And then, you know, after taxes, ties, and rent, we were around three fifty a month is what we had to spend and to meet needs along the way. And uh, the truth was is that compared to what we made and what the bills added up to, it didn't match up, folks. It, it didn't happen. I mean, on paper, it did not happen. Uh, people used to say, but you got a budget? 
<laughs> budget? Yeah, minus. Yeah, every, every week, minus. Every month, minus. There's no way in the world that, that we could do what we were doing without God supernaturally intervening. I want to read a passage out of my um, journal from 1995. It was July the 13th, 1995. I recorded this entry, and I was just reading through it for some reasons the other day, and I came across it, and I thought this fits really well when it comes to God sustaining, supplying, and meeting our needs. It says, last week was a great week of financial blessing. God gave us $220. Sorry. God gave us $220 cash by the end of Sunday. We received an envelope with $100, $20 from someone else, and $100 from a woman who God had likewise blessed and wanted to share that. She said she was sleeping and had a dream. In her dream, she saw a young man on his knees praying for money. She said that that, that man reminded her of me, and when she woke up, God had impressed upon her heart the need to give to us. I put praise God in there. And that, beside it, I put, I had been praying for finances the past two weeks. God is so good. Jeremiah 33.3. Listen, folks, God meets needs. God provides. For years, God supernaturally intervened on our behalf. There's something sweet about that. And you know, God can do that in your life. He can do that in my life. He is not just the God of Elijah. He is our God too. Amen. He can meet your need. And the problem today is, if we're not careful, we are so intent on meeting our own needs and somehow manipulating our circumstances to where we never really give God the opportunity to step in and do His supernatural work. We take the bull by the horns. Well, there's nothing wrong with being motivated. But let me tell you something. Be careful you don't take the steering wheel out of the hand of God. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 6, please. Verse 25 through 33. God meets needs. He supplies. Now, let me be as bold to say this, however. In, our, in the context of our passage, we are well aware that there was a people who were serving Jesus Christ, who were faithful to the cause of Christ, who in the face of, of tremendous persecution were remaining faithful. As we read the passage, we also understand that they, that they sacrificially gave to the work of God beyond their means. You must keep that in mind as you read Philippians 4.19. Because, see, if we are selfish and we are intent on doing things our own way, then God will allow us to take care and provide for ourselves. But when we turn it over to God and say, it is yours, all of it's yours, myself, and everything I have, Lord, I'm just a steward of those things which you have blessed me with, and I will obey you no matter what. And when we allow God to have that leadership and that role in our life, God is obligated he is obligated, he is obligated to take care of us. Notice Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, the Lord Jesus speaking, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Isn't that something? Listen, I, I, I don't know if there's any animal activists here, but I'm just going to throw this in. Are ye not much better than they? 
There's not one animal life that's worth a human life. Not according to God's word, at least. I'm, I'm not, we're not going to get no debate or argument. I'm just saying, listen, if it's your son or that animal, it's that animal. You get where I'm going with that? Okay? All right, that's, that's, that's what we see here. Now watch. He's saying to you now, if I'll take care of those little animals, those little birds, aren't you better than them? Won't I take care of you? He goes on to say, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto a stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He said, oh, that's going to be burned up one day. I, take great, I go to great lengths to make sure it's beautiful, to make sure that it's, the needs are met in, their, in, its, in, in that, that, that green earth of yours. He says, it'll be burned up one day, and yet I still take the time to do that. You are, are an eternal being. Are you thinking somehow, some way that I will not care for you, not take care of you, not meet your needs? Oh, ye of little faith, he says. And notice there's a question mark. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Whither all shall we be clothed? For, other, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of the, all these things. Now here it is. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know what he just trying to teach his disciples? That we get ourselves mixed up on what's important. We somehow feel that our first priority is to provide when our first priority is to obey. You get, did you see it there? Now you go ahead and argue with the preacher all you want. You go ahead and argue with anybody you want. But the fact is, is that God's saying to you, you seek first the kingdom of, he of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. The problem is, he says, people of God, be careful you don't put all those things ahead of me and ahead of my, my, my desire, my design for you. You be careful. I care for those little animals running around and all those flowers in the field. They'll be burned up one day, but you're forever. Do you think I will neglect you? Do you think I will not provide for you? And not talking about being lazy and doing nothing. He's talking about doing something other than seeking out him. God sustains. God supplies our needs. It's God who makes the provision possible. We lose our health. I don't care how good a job you have, you can't work. Finally, I want to take just a minute and we're done. Sanity. Sanity. What's God provide for us? That we have reason to rejoice? Sanity. Look at the old 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It's real quick. I just want to touch on it very quickly. Sanity. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, this is something that God provides for us that is so much more valuable than anything you can possibly imagine. If you have uh, struggled in your mind, if you have had turmoil in your heart, you know exactly what I'm talking about right here. And probably if you've gone through a difficult time in your life, you've struggled with great loss in your life, possibly you've been through a horrible illness, 
possibly fearful of even your very life. Let me tell you, you know what it is to have your spirit upset. You know what it is to feel like you're going to lose your mind because you can't get the weight or the burden off. But thank God we have a God who is there for us and that will help us through those times and give us the sanity we need even. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of... Let's say that together. God has not given us the spirit of what? That's right. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see that sound mind? In Webster 1828 Dictionary, it defines that sound as being this. Entire, unbroken, not shaky, split, or defective. As sound timber, he says. It's entire, unbroken, not shaky, split, or defective. See, in Paul's day, when he's writing this passage, the news of Nero's and his savageries has been throughout the kingdom. I mean, it terrorized the minds of the people of God. The thought of Nero and the horrible things that he was doing to Christians and believers, they were terrorized. They were fearful. They were afraid. They thought for sure it was going to happen to them at any moment. And in many cases, it did. But Paul understood that their fearful thoughts needed to be countered by the thought that God cannot make any mistakes. Do you hear that? God doesn't make any mistakes. So if you are burned at the stake, that's not a mistake. If the armies of Nero come down and burn your village and harm your families, that's not a mistake. Now listen, I know what we want to hear. I know that on the television sets and in many pulpits there's this health and wealth preaching and that everything's going to be perfectly fine. And as a Christian, you can always count on God to bless you with finances and bless you with health. Now that's not the reality of the Word of God, friend. See, this world is not our home, remember? We don't live for today. We live for tomorrow. If we keep perspective, we'll be able to finally grasp the truth. I'm not saying it's comfortable, and I'm not saying it would be easy. I can't even imagine how I'd respond to that. I hope I never have to. However, that may be the case. And if it is, may God help me and help you to respond as the New Testament Christians did. Timothy and the people of God had to bring their fears to the cross of Christ. And only there could those fears be crucified. They would be enabled by the power, the love, the wisdom of God that would rule in their hearts and their minds then. It had to be that. God provides his children with sanity. As we observe his word, as, as we trust him with our futures, we find a peace and a rest that transcends all of our problems. When we operate in rebellion, we can rest assured that mental anguish will soon follow. In rebellion, there is nothing to look forward to. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Boy, God provides us with so many things. And as dark and as bleak as our world is, as difficult as our circumstances may be or become, I want you to be encouraged today, beloved. I want you to know and realize that God is a God who is able to provide all our needs. He's provided us with salvation. He's provided us with security. He's given to us that's, that's, that, that um, supply and sustenance. He's given us safety. And he provides us with sanity. 
all of those things. Boy, we have reason to rejoice today. But we have to see things God's way. From his perspective. Not a world outlook, but a biblical world outlook. So are you in need of salvation this morning? Then you need to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ to wash your sin away and forgive you. Do you struggle with feelings of insecurity? Well, then you need to claim the precious promises of God. Only his power saved you. It's that same power that keeps you. He says, who are kept by the power of God. Do you have financial or material needs? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Is it safety that you seek? Then trust in the Lord, who will never leave you nor forsake you. Is it sanity that you long for? Then trust, or should I say, turn to Christ and allow him to touch you in a way that will enable you to experience his power, his love, and his wisdom. But you have to turn to him only. He'll meet that need. It's not always easy. It's a battle because our flesh wants to take over. But let's surrender to the Lord. Let's allow him to have us. We have reason to rejoice. We have reason to rejoice today. Amen. And boy, I tell you what, let's not be discouraged or disheartened. Let's not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of ultimately being even distanced from God because of our disappointments even. May God help us to realize we have so many reasons to rejoice. Father, we come to you thanking you again, Lord, for just all that you do and all that you mean to us. We do pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us now in these next few moments. Lord, uh, take the, the, the message that was shared, the word of God that was given, and Father, may you apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to identify that which is most important and the needs in our life, and then realize that you are the need meter. That, Father, as difficult as it may seem, as distressing as it may be, in our life, our marriage, our families, our finances, our world, our economy, our, 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 just our communities. Lord, help us to realize, Lord, that you are able to supply all our need, meet our need. Father, we'll thank you as you give us reason to rejoice. Father, someone here that's lost without Christ, may they step out of their seat, come forward, see me at the front, and allow you Father, to speak to their heart through the word of God.